calling all consumer goods, business owners, and marketing professionals. Does planning content ahead of time stress you out? Do you want to run Instagram and Facebook ads, but just aren't sure where to start? If your answer is yes and yes, then our mini course was made for you. It's 100% free and packed with essential tactics that you can implement as soon as today. To join in, visit our website at umaimarketing.com slash mini course. All right, let's get on with the pod. Welcome to the Umai Social Circle, where we talk consumer goods tips to help business owners and marketers grow. We're Karen and Allison, co-founders of Umai, and we're being joined by Ellen Wilson, Senior Supply Planner at Amplify Snack Brands. Thanks for joining us, Ellen. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, and Ellen is a dear, dear friend. She's not just a really amazing supply planner for CPG. She is a dear friend. So uh, we're really lucky to have you and we're excited. So let's start with just your background. Did you always have an interest in working in operations or in CPG? Like, how'd you get here? Really randomly, to be honest. Um, I was working in a marketing studio. I went to school for marketing and we just had a friend, Taylor, shout out to Taylor, um, who was doing recruiting at the time, was working at a recruiting firm and she had a random job for a customer service role at a growing CPG company. And I was ready for a change from my current job. And so I took a chance and five years later, here I am. <laughs> I completely forgot that it was, you were hired as a customer service person. Yes. Yeah. So, so it was just like a random customer service representative. And it turned out to be better than I thought because the customer service was, it wasn't like consumer facing. It was like Target and Kroger and those were my customers. So it was almost like a fulfillment logistics role more than it was, you know, customer service. So it ended up being, you know, even better than I kind of thought it would be going into it. And then it naturally progressed into planning or did you yeah. find the, that job and you're like, that's, that's me right there. Yeah. So it was super random. You know, I kind of had just gotten over being in customer service. You know, I just wanted to do something more. And what was so great about Amplify at the time, it was still such a small company that, you know, if you wanted to try something else, like it was just really easy to do so. So the, um, the role for the supply planner opened up and I just was either going to leave Amplify or wanted to do something else. So I got the, the chance to try it and it, it really just clicked for me. And it's, it's been such a good fit for me. And it's something I would have never even thought to try before being at Amplify. So it's, it's really just fun how that was so random, but it's been such a wonderful fit, like for me and how my brain works. So like how your brain works, what, like, what about, like, what traits would you say that people should have if they want to have a career in this? Very logistical. So I think of it as like a giant puzzle that I'm putting together every single week. So I have to take like all of our products, all of our commands, I'm scheduling, you know, six different commands every single week. And there's just like tons of different inputs that I'm taking every single week and having to say what I need them to make in their specifications of like what I can run each week. So it's just a giant puzzle that you're always having to figure out. And that's just, that's fun for me. I don't think that's fun for everyone, but for me, that is really gratifying. And like when I can get it there, you know, it, it feels really good. I would say it's also just 
it keeps you on your toes every single week, um, especially with such a growing company. What I planned last week isn't necessarily what's needed this week. So then I'm having to go back and say, okay, I said 5,000 this week, but now I need 10,000 because it's much you know bigger than I thought. So definitely thinking logistically, willing to I'm like looking at my plan right now. <laughs> it's like always on my brain. Just willing to like pivot quickly to figure something out, um, find creative solutions for, you know, something that that might not be going well is is really a lot of my job. <laughs> so like an organized problem solver. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think organization skills, I think uh, that might be a must <laughs> based on that explanation. <laughs> And who um, but, loves spreadsheets as well. Yes, yeah. Excel must love, is like my baby. Must love Excel, gosh. Oh, God. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And that's what's also been so fun. It was like, I didn't have a ton of Excel skills before I came into this role. And it was just something where I got pushed into it and would have to be like on Google every day being like, how to do yes. this and how to do that. But I have learned so much. And this is such a nerdy thing to say, but like Excel is amazing and you can do so much. And I feel like I've just even scratched the surface of what you can do. So for anybody starting out that's doing any kind of you know inventory planning, forecasting, anything like Excel is where it's at 100%. Wow. That's the nerdiest thing I've ever heard you say, Ellen. No, I've, you know, I, I was embarrassed to admit that for a while, but I've gotten to the point where, like, I am who I am, and I love Excel. I love it. <laughs> I really do. Well, let's backtrack a little bit and tell us more about Amplify Snack Brand. So it's the umbrella company for a lot of CPG brands. So what what are those? Yeah, so Skinny Pop is, like, numero uno. That's what it started with. And then now we have Pirates Booty, which is little mm. pups for children yeah for, for children like it's for everybody oh it's um, for children yeah it's i did not know that children it's like a children's brand but oh you know, I is it i don't think so <laughs> yeah it's Whoa. for everyone and then we have pocky tortilla chips which is kind of like a better for you dorito line and omega protein bars wow mm. so you're working on planning for all of those brands are you so right now I'm just doing skinny pop I have worked on all of them in my years at amplify which has been interesting because they're all so different with such different requirements and planning cycles and everything but um right now I'm doing the big dog skinny pop big dog so like walk us through your day-to-day I have never been in operations it's kind of confusing I bet it's kind of confusing to the people that are doing it right now for their own businesses like what like what on your on a daily basis what do you do as a senior supply planner at Amplify? Yeah so I'll kind of go through like my weekly buckets because it's kind of like the same process every week so every week I'm taking you know a new set of our open sales orders open work orders open transfer orders forecast inventory at all of our warehouses and I'm putting that into a model that we've built everything's in Excel still which is you know kind of wild for for doing this many big you know planning manufacturers but so I put all of that into a model for each you know kind of command that I'm planning for manufacturers I'm planning for and I'm basically you know finding what I need to make in my next you know open production slot so that's like the main core of my job is like making those production plans for all of our commands but I'm also you know anytime I see something 
that's off on an item or inventory or something, like I have to go figure that out. So I'm talking to demand planning all week long. I'm talking to our transportation team all week long to figure out, you know, where my inventory is. I'm talking to our deployment team to say like, hey, rush order on this, you need to get it, you know, to this place. ASAP. I'm talking to our customer service team. They're asking, you know, where's this product? Can you get it sooner? Can we get it, you know, in this DC instead of this? So I'm just, I'm talking to like everyone in operations because everything changes so quickly all the time. <laughs> like, especially with such, you know, a, a growth-based company, if we get an opportunity to do something, it's not like, oh, that's not in like the four-week locked window of forecast. Like you need to push that out. It's like, what can we do to make it happen? So there's just like fires, there's opportunities, there's just situation shutdown that manufacturers, everything like that, that I'm just having to like deal with every single week. <laughs> that sounds negative, but you know, it's just, you have to do it. <laughs> and then there's just, you know, lots of weekly meetings about everything going on. So my main, my main job really is to make those production plans, but I would say 50, 50, making the production plans from a base set of data and then going and tweaking for exceptions and fires and situations that, that come about. Yeah, so that's so interesting. And the projection part kind of rattles my brain in a lot of different ways. And so <laughs> you're talking about like base data. So you're a more established company now, but like how does a small brand go about figuring out those projections without that base data? I mean, it's still hard with that base data. Okay. <laughs> so like, so a forecast for us is the like Bible for us, you know, without a forecast, like I can't do anything, you know, I can react to what's in our open sales orders. But other than that, like, I have no idea what to make in the future. And so, that's kind of like, if you were only focusing on that, you'd be a step behind all the time. I'd be late. Nothing would get anywhere on time. So especially like being a more established brand, I'm having to lock things out, you know, weeks in advance. So I'm kind of having to predict the future based on the forecast, which is a production of the future. <laughs> so I would say like someone who is just starting out that doesn't have, you know, a robust, robust forecasting system, anything like that, having a really close relationship with whoever is doing your sales is like so key because they're gonna be the only people that can help you with that. So they're gonna be able to tell you what they're trying to sell, what they are selling, what's expected. So that is just like, I would say the most important thing is to just have that really close relationship and like constant communication with them. Another thing is just to really watch consumer trends in you know your sector. So like for, for popcorn, we're always watching our competitors, we're watching you know, just the buying habits, but it, it really is just trying to predict the future more than anything. And a lot of it relies on us building safety stock. So I'm building like the amount that we're saying we need in two weeks, but I'm also building like a couple week buffer. So if that doesn't happen, I've got something to play with. Um, so finding that, that amount of safety stock that is going to cover bumps in the road, but not be too much that you're just like, holding product you don't need or like is going to go expired before you can sell it or whatnot. Like that's, that's that sweet spot of being prepared for the bumps in the road, being prepared for what's going to happen, but not just building inventory you don't need all the time. I Let's talk about safety stock. I really like that. Is there like a certain percentage that like a brand should 
Keith in the back. Yeah. So <laughs> for me, I base it off of, so there's like the full shelf life of your product. So that's like from production to when you shouldn't eat it anymore. And then pretty much, I would say probably all, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming all brands with an expiration also have like a sellable shelf life. So we have like a portion of our full shelf life that we can still ship to customers so that they can guarantee they get the product with enough time to sell it on their shelves. So for me, I take that sellable product window and I do enough that like, so for instance, if it's eight weeks, I won't produce more than like four to five weeks of stock at a time. So if I produce anything close to eight weeks, there's the opportunity that we won't get the forecast and then it's just we're throwing it away or selling it distressed where we don't get, you know, the margin. So I'm trying to build, you know, four to five at the most so that I can have enough to cover like a few weeks of, you know, something comes in double the forecast that week. I've got it, but it's not so much that we're, you know, paying storage fees for it. We're potentially just throwing it away because I've made too much. So it's just that that sweet spot where you feel comfortable with the weeks, you know, weeks of supply. That's my, that's how I judge everything is like weeks of supply. So finding that weeks of supply that makes you feel comfortable that you have a buffer, but that, you know, you can also get through it before it goes short dated. Gosh, I, (laughs) it seems pretty stressful to handle all this. I (laughs) It's Operations is not for the lighthearted. It's right. Like, yes. It's a very stressful job. I mean, I like it and it's busy all the time. And I always have something to do, but like there's some days, I mean, like throwing away product, I would, you know, that would be yeah. so difficult. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny because like two of my biggest goals are Catesville, which is making sure our orders get fulfilled a certain percent and then waste and making sure that waste bucket is so I'm like truly having to find that middle ground where I can build enough to service everything, but not throw it away. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. so interesting. And so for a big company like Skinny Pop, you're doing like 50% in that kind of like anticipation and like maintaining your supply levels. Yes. Yeah. So I try to, yeah, four weeks is really like, I would say the sweet spot for us. But another thing you have to think about is like, with a huge company, always having four weeks of supply is a lot of storage and just tons of pallets. Like I think it's like 50,000 pallets if I were to get up to, you know, five, four weeks of supply. So you have to also understand your budget for uh, warehousing and make sure that you, you know, found a warehouse that you can hold all of that. And then, you know, if I am getting up to four and we're just busting at the seam, then that kind of throws everything off where I can't produce what I need to produce. And then it's like, you know, a month of trying to fix that and trickle that down and like fix it. So it's, it's a giant puzzle. <laughs> like it. <laughs> Puzzling every day. Uh, every day. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about the acquisition. So hot, hot top, hot topic. <laughs> so in late 2017, Hershey acquired Amplify. You were there. You've been there for so long um, for a whopping $1.6 billion. $1.6 billion. That is nuts. And you were there. You are there now. <laughs> so, like, How has your job changed from working for this small company where you were thinking it was just going to be customer service to now with this being owned by Hershey? Yeah. It's like, The company itself has changed dramatically. I would say like my job of 
planning is not that different because we're still like doing it in Excel and we still, you know, for the most part have the same manufacturers that we were using before. So as far as like my day to day, it hasn't changed dramatically, but like our company as a whole has changed so much, you know, before the acquisition, during the acquisition, right after the acquisition, we went through a ton of like ELT leaders. It was just kind of like in and out, in and out, in and out. And, you know, part yeah. of that comes with- What is with, ELT, Ellen? Oh, um, executive leadership team. Okay. So like the C level people. Gotcha. Um, and really like VPs and directors as well. So a lot of that is to be expected when you're, you know, at first going public, you know, you just get a bunch of money and you kind of move on. Like that's just what some people do. And then with the acquisition kind of that also happened you know a lot of people had stock they got paid out they were just like okay got what I needed from it so since Hershey has acquired us and we've really gotten like into being with Hershey it has been much more stable in that sense which has been such a good thing for us you know we got some people that worked at Hershey for 15 to 20 years to come over and kind of be in that team and it's just provided us a lot of stability that things aren't just like drastically changing and our you know strategy year to year isn't just a fully different strategy because we have a new CEO or a new president or a new you know CFO so I think that has been extremely helpful for us to just kind of get that stability that we need to kind of go to the next level and we also just have a lot more resources to like do things with which is helpful you know they we've got Hershey backing us for procurement and you know contracts and we can like kind of use that Hershey muscle to, to really help us get to that next level. And you have chocolate in your office now. Yeah. Free chocolate bars for life. <laughs> there was constant candy bowls, which was, was a lot of fun. But you still maintain like the small brand feel and like all yes. of the outward facing is. Yeah. Like we, we definitely are part of Hershey, but we're also still very much amplified. So like we do our own thing, you know, we're, we're tied to them when we report to them and we use them when we need to, but it's not something where, you know, everything we do is the same thing as Hershey. So mm-hmm. it makes it, it just, it's nice to keep that, you know, we can do little parties with ourselves and we can do, you know, decision-making on our own. We don't have to like always call Hershey and be like, Hey, can I do this? Um, so I think it's kind of been the best of both worlds where we get what we need from a big company, but it's not, we're not just like this big corporation now. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a great acquisition. Yeah. yeah. And Hershey is just like, it's a really good company. They do a ton of philanthropy. You know, they're, they're really great, you know, people forward, like really caring about the people. Like when we were acquired, Michelle Buck, our CEO came and had like lunch with a group of us, you know, like it's, it's one of those where it's a large corporation, but it doesn't feel like I'm just this little, you know, minion in a huge corporation. Like it, they're just, they're good at, you know, people, which is surprising sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, so what are some maybe tools or some tips from you that smaller CPG brands who don't have this full operations team how can they get better at planning and supply chain? I mean, I know I talked about it earlier, but Excel, Excel, Excel. <laughs> so no Excel, okay. No Excel. You know, there's tons of resources to like take classes, you know, learn more, dive deeper into it. You know, until, I mean, we're still doing all of our planning out of Excel, which, you know, that's for brands 
15 commands, you know, just doing all of that in Excel and like fairly accurate, you know, there could be things that are helpful with a system, but for the most part, it's worked just fine. Um, and until last summer, we were doing all of our forecasting out of Excel. So we're a company that like doesn't want to invest in some kind of system early on, you can do everything in Excel. So just kind of like diving into that. As far as like other resources, I just, I don't know as much because I was lucky to kind of come into like an already established system. So I have luckily just kind of had resources through employees and, you know, coworkers and stuff. So I don't know of other resources, but Excel. Yeah. So, no Excel. And know your numbers and put them in Excel. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So what's like a common, since you have, since you see what's happening with Skinny Pop and Pirate's Booty and Oatmega and Pocky, like what are some common issues that you see all of these brands kind of running into and how can you avoid that in the operations? Yeah, so one of them that even we have struggled with is being prepared for growth. You know, any small CPG, like that's your goal. You want to grow, you want to get bigger, you want to, you know, maybe be acquired someday or go public. So being able to kind of like hit go when you need to and have that plan already prepared, I think is something that we weren't necessarily always ready for. And it's probably something that happens to a lot of companies faster than they think. So I would say like having, having that plan when you don't need it is so critical. It takes a really long time to set up manufacturers. It takes a really long time to set up a new warehouse. You know, things take a lot of time. So if you are starting that process, when you're starting to see that kind of bubble burst, you're going to be screwed for a long time. Um, so just being prepared for that and being able to kind of jump into it I think is something that that a lot of brands don't do soon enough. Another one is kind of being strategic about who you are selling into. You know, it's it's so tempting to say like, oh, Walmart, Target, Club, like that's where I want to be. And you do want to be there when you're ready. You know, Club is huge. If you get into a Costco, a BJ's, a Sam's, like your, your inventory and like your demand is going to skyrocket. And again, if you're not prepared for that, you could ruin your relationship with those brands and not have another chance for a while. Um, or like Walmart Target, if you are a very high-end, unique kind of niche product, being in Target and Walmart might not be a good idea for you, at least in the beginning, because you're going to get in there, no one's going to buy your product, and then it's going to be like fail. Like maybe you need to start with the natural channel and like really really focus on that versus just kind of like the allure of being in a big box store. I think those two are probably the biggest that I've personally experienced. That's such a good note about the big box store. We've heard the same from our friend, Mark Nathan saying the exact, having the same sentiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had a, we had a kettle chip brand that we scored a big deal with Walmart. And that was like, it was going to be Walmart exclusive for a little bit. And it just did not sell, just didn't sell. And it, for me, that makes sense. Like you go to Walmart, you're not, you're not going to like try the new hot thing. You're going for your staples and you're going for good prices. So like being a luxury potato chip brand for sometimes triple the price of another bag, like 
I wouldn't buy it. You know, that's not what I'm there for. So, and we don't have that brand anymore. So it really is like a testament to you have to, you have to put it in, in the right places, especially when you're starting off. And once you get that, you know, once you have customers and you have people that know who you are, like that's when you can go in and you're prepared for that. But like starting out at those big box stores is just can be a devilish sometimes. Mm. And they're high maintenance. So you yeah. have to be like ready to, you know, pivot to what they want from you versus you being like, this is what I want to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because it's just like the allure of it. It's just like, yes, I want to be in Walmart. Like yeah, everyone's absolutely. there, but yeah, it's it's really interesting. Only ball game once you're there. Yeah. Um, earlier you talked about, you know, having waste from product. Is there anything that you're you're seeing that brands are able to do with that waste or any other like new trends in your industry? So what we do is um, like every month we kind of go through a distressed sales process. So we take all of our inventory, we you know take the lock codes and the expiration dates, anything that we know is past that kind of shippable window to customers we'll kind of sell it to a, the distress channel. So we have a few customers that um, just purely buy distressed product from us. So they're fine with taking it a little short dated because it's still good. And things like, you know, the stuff that you see in TJ Maxx. Mm, okay. Grocery outlet is like our main one. I think they have actual stores. I don't think they have them in Texas, but there's like actual stores that just sell kind of that distressed product, which oh, again, no. it has a life. It's not bad. It's just not to the long shelf life that you know a target Kroger you know Tom Thumb would require in order to put on their shelves so that's what we do with a lot of it and then once it goes past even the shelf life that a distressed customer will take it at we will try to donate it to different um, different companies that will take it like feed the children is one that we send a lot of product to and then we've even (laughs) donated to like pig farmers Mm-hmm. And they'll take popcorn and some of our brands and just kind of like put it in there, their pig food. So. Yeah, that's exactly what we did at Vital Farms. Yeah. yeah. So it's for the most part, we get through a lot of it. We do end up just like destroying some of it, you know, stuff like our, our spicy hockey chips, like those aren't going to go to children and those aren't going to go to pigs. So sometimes we just don't have a home for them, but we try like multiple steps to just get it to someone that will use it before we we trash it. Very cool. Um, I always wondered, like shopping at Marshall's and TJ Maxx, like all the foods, yeah. they're always like really delicious. And I'm like, why are these here? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, that was like such an eye opener for me because I thought the same thing. I was like, well, I'm not going to buy it. It's like bad. But then I realized it's not bad. It's just like slightly shorter than. Yeah. Distressedly, which yeah, I'm fine with. It's just distressed. Perfectly oh, cool. good still. <laughs> Any other. Um, trends happening in like with Amplify or just in operations? Yeah I mean just with like Skinny Pop well I guess kind of Skinny Pop and Pirate's Booty probably for the most part in the last couple of years multi-packs have like blown up so like Mm. the smaller 100 calorie or you know just smaller bags within a pouch or a box those have blown up in the last few years and I mean it makes sense like you have kids you're going to work you just grab a bag instead of having to like use your own plastic bag um but that is actually a lot harder 
you know, functionally to make in a manufacturing plant versus like just, you know, a big bag. Because with a big bag, you're sealing less, less often, you're using less, you know, film because you're just making one bag versus a ton. It's less people because you're not having to like put bags inside a bag and then seal that bag. So that has been something that we have had to like adjust so dramatically because we have to figure out, you know, how do we get our manufacturers to be able to make more? Like, how do we get it out faster? How do we get it out in, you know, 15 different packouts, 15 different flavors? Um, whereas before, a lot of our studios were, studios, <laughs> manufacturing plants were set up for big bags, mainly big bags, with like a little small bag. So that's been a trend that we are, you know, still to be, you know, honest, struggling to keep up with because it's like new flavor, new variety, aye, new packout. We have a 16 count, now I want a 30 count. So it's just like constantly, that's what everybody wants. Um, but what's actually funny with COVID last year, when everything kind of started to shut down and like everyone was rushing to the grocery stores and even like news outlets were saying like, these are the items to buy. Like Skinny Pop was luckily one of them, but it was like this giant flip back to big bags. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we were like, got it. All the mini, like the small bags, multi-packs, got it, got it, got it. And all of a sudden it was like, nope, nobody wants that anymore. No one's going to school, no buying of that. Like I want big bags again. So there's one item that we sell in club stores that I make every single week, no matter what, always being produced at multiple facilities. And I had to actually shut that down for like a month because just no one <laughs> was buying them. So it's, it's just funny how life really does affect the market and you have to pay such close attention to like buying habits and in time of year like summers are so hard for us because everyone's purchasing back to school stuff and like there's back to school back to school sales and all this stuff so just you know watching the year the trends over the year you know what's happening in in life really affects what's happening in manufacturing <laughs> yeah do um, you know where like your forecasters track those consumer trends other than just like your sales so we have a whole like department I mean it's like five people it's not 50 but um, we have a department that can't think of what their titles are but they they do purely they're like part of the sales team but they track consumer trends and they are giving that influence to like our actual sales team just on kind of what's happening in competitors and the world just kind of, you know, the trends that are happening. So there's that piece. And then we do have like a pretty robust forecasting system now. So it reads seasonality, it reads, you know, just our, our years of, of past data. And then that plus having weekly, sometimes bi-weekly conversations with our sales team, that's kind of where that information comes together for our forecast. Was anyone on your team able to like foresee that? Like, okay, people are hunkered down or that was a total. It, was, it caught us all by surprise. I mean, we were having literally daily meetings in the beginning, like at 5 p.m. to like discuss what was happening and like what we were going to do tomorrow. And like, especially with COVID, some of our plants just like shut down because people got COVID. And like when someone in the plant is, they all had to be out because they're working, you know, close to each other. So it it took us all by surprise. And I think last March was the most sales we had ever had in the history of Amplify because everyone was just like running to the grocery store to get stuff. So it was it was a wild 
couple weeks there. <laughs> what a trip. Yeah. What a trip. <laughs> okay, Ellen. Well, nuggets. So pretty much <laughs> if you want to really, really dig into supply chain operations, you got to be organized. You got to be good at communicating with a whole lot of people. You got to be flexible, right? Yes, it's just absolutely. like... Nothing is set in stone. Nothing. And it's funny because like we'll have calls about promos coming up or um, like with Costco, they have what they call MVMs. And it's those like mailers you get in the, the mail, the mailers um, once a month. And when you are part of one of those mailers and have like a coupon, your volume skyrockets. So like, it's a, it's a huge deal to be a part of that, but it's also, you know, like you're watching that, like your little baby, just making sure the MVM go, MVM goes well. And so we'll have meetings every week on how it's going. And I'll just be like, at this very moment in time, it's okay. <laughs> and people kind of laugh at us at work. Cause that's like a lot of what operation says is like, you're asking me at 11.52 on a Tuesday, yes, it's okay. If you ask me in an hour, it, it might not be okay. So oh my gosh. It's just so one of those stressful. things that it changes minute to minute. Because like if something happens and there's like a fire at a plant and that goes down, like you can be screwed for weeks on your inventory because that's, it's just gone. So mm. wild. Yeah. <laughs> wild. <laughs> Sounds like a great time, uh, but for real, like you're making it happen. You are literally getting this product on the shelf for us to yeah. purchase. So I know it's fun when like my family or friends like send me a photo of a bag or something. I'm like, I made that for you. Yeah, I made, I made it for you. <laughs> yeah, it is very gratifying. Like, and especially we you know track our case bill every single week. So if I get like a good case bill the week prior, like that is again, very nerdily, very gratifying for me because like I did that and I got it there and I, you know, I succeeded at what I was, that puzzle I was trying to figure out. So puzzler. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Ellen, well, thanks for coming on and talking yeah, with us. You. And would you like to leave the audience with like a link or a call to action or a final statement? Go buy skinny pop. <laughs> Yeah, go buy Skinny Pop, go buy Pirate's Booty, go buy Pocky. Pocky is like very underrated, I would say. Mm, I it's love Pocky. Like a better for you de uh, deodorant, I almost said deodorant. Better <laughs> for you Dorito. Um, it like has all real clean ingredients. So it's, I think those people sleep on a lot, but they're delicious. Yeah, go buy them, take a photo, send it to us. We'll send it to Ellen. She'll feel great about yeah. the week of operation exactly <laughs> did it awesome thanks ellen yeah, thank you, Ellen. Ooh, My Social Circle is a CPG agency-driven podcast based out of Austin, Texas. We're excited to share more behind-the-scene insights, chats with industry leaders, and whatever else we learn along the way. Follow us on Instagram at umaimarketing or check out our website, umaimarketing.com. Catch you back here soon. <laughs>